Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers across the land, welcome to the first episode of the Felony Friday podcast. For our frequent listeners, you're probably familiar with uh, the Felony Friday brand. This here is John Odermatt, the author of Felony Friday. I've been writing this column for going on two and a half years, and this is the first official podcast that we're doing for the Felony Friday brand. I'm really excited to be starting this new podcast. It's hopefully going to give us a chance to dive into and take a more closer look at some felonies. I'm excited to have a guest, a guest that you are all familiar with, a very special guest. He is a co-founder here at Lions of Liberty. He's our editor-in-chief as well, and let's just be honest, probably without this guest, we probably wouldn't have a Lions of Liberty podcast. It is Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, thanks for joining me. Well, what's going on, Odie? This is actually a, this is a little strange to me to be a guest on the show. It's kind of, it feels a little weird. I'm used to hosting. I feel like I'm powerless, like my hands are tied behind my back, and I'm just here to, uh, you know, you're going to guide me through this thing, and uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know, hopefully it works out. I don't know if I'm a great guest. People say I'm an okay host, but we'll find out. Hopefully you are a great guest. It feels a little weird for me, too. You know, the shoe on the other foot. I'm definitely used to sitting back and answering questions rather than hosting. So, you know, I'll I'll stumble my way through this, but we will get to some felonies and discuss some problems we have in the criminal justice system. What I want to know then first, I mean, I already know, so I'm I'm kind of being disingenuous from the bat, but what I think our listeners are going to want to know is, just why are we doing this? I mean, we just had the Lions of Liberty podcast started off as just a weekly show that I started back in 2013. Last year, we decided, well, there's once a week is just not enough to do everything that we want to do and do everything that we want to bring to our fans. And yet here we are once again, expanding to a third episode a week with your own show, the Felony Friday podcast. So maybe you can just run through for everybody out there, people that might be tuning into this for the first time. How did you first kind of get immersed in the world of felonies overall? I mean, how did you get to the point where you're so passionate about the subject? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, Mark. So See, just, I've already uh, taken back the hosting mantle. Uh-huh. How did you do that? You've turned the <laughs> I'm table a wizard on. like Donald Trump. I'll hand up the baton in a minute. Why don't you tell everybody why uh, we're here? You're such a wizard. You've learned well from the Donald. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. Anyway, with felonies, um, it's been an interest of mine for quite a while. Like I said, I've been writing the Felony Friday column for about two and a half years. And I'll try to give you the brief elevator version of this story. Um, first became um, interested in the plight of felons, as, uh, as we call it here at Felony Friday. Back when I worked in California, worked in the manufacturing industry. And during my um, tenure working there, I worked in human resources and had the opportunity to review a lot of resumes. And the area I worked, the Inland Empire, uh, San Bernardino, California, Actually, Colton, California, to be more specific, was the city I worked in. Very uh, high crime rate, um, a lot of former felons, a lot of former criminals in the workforce. So when I would review these resumes, I would find a lot of people saying that they had a past criminal history, had previous uh, felony convictions. And what happened was when I started out reviewing these resumes, as I was looking through them, just by my instincts, I guess, I thought that uh, my boss and other uh, managers that work there probably wouldn't want people with a criminal record working for that company. So the first time I looked through all the resumes, I took out all the ones that I was doing a good job, took out all the ones with the 
uh, felony convictions, criminal backgrounds, and separated them away. And then when I took them to my boss, my boss is leafing through these, and he looks at me and goes, what's going on here? Where's all the ones with criminal records? Because he'd worked there for several years, and he, he knew the resource pool that he was dealing with. And I said, well, I took them all out. He said, we can't take them all out. A lot of those guys are our best workers. So that right there was a huge um, lesson I learned there. And my time working there, I was there for uh, almost two years. I got to know a lot of the guys that I supervised and worked with on the floor. I had a former criminal background and were former felons. And I got to really identify them with on a person-to-person basis and got to see their work ethic, that they were had families and they were good people who'd made a mistake. Flash forward a couple of years, I moved back to Pittsburgh and I'm living back in Pittsburgh and a friend of mine who's away at school gets arrested, charged with a felony for uh, distributing marijuana, a um, very small amount of marijuana. It was with an undercover cop and the undercover cop kept coming back and coming back and getting with him with larger and larger amounts. He ended up getting in a heap of trouble, was convicted, ended up spending over a year in jail, maybe six months or so in a halfway house. And he was on probation for a while. He might still be on probation. I'm not sure. But those two events, the California thing and then the thing back here in Pennsylvania with my friend, it was a big eye opener that, you know, this can really happen to anybody. Uh, felons deserve a second chance. And this felony label uh, that as I continue to learn, we continue to learn as we look at these stories really haunts people for the rest of their life, unless it's expunged. So does that answer your question, Mark? I think you so. Know, now, now I'm asking the question. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you flipped it back already. And I think the big thing that I take from your story all the time is that you basically came into this, like, I think like the majority of people come into felonies. You hear that word felon, you hear felony, you think criminal, you think violence, you think someone who is violating people's rights, breaking into their house, assaulting people, and that is a portion of felons for sure. But for many of these people, they haven't even done anything like that. Many of these people are completely nonviolent and have only been arrested for, say, a minor drug possession or that kind of thing and end up with that same label as the violent murderer will have for life. And yet they're all treated the same way. Once they get out of prison, they all are deprived of many of their rights. You're absolutely right. I would say Definitely. The, the majority of people, um, when they hear the word felon, you know, a trigger, a light goes off in their head and, and their alert goes up. And yeah, a lot of these felons, you know, the only difference between a convicted felon or a, a felon who served their time and is back in society and, and you or I, a lot of the time is if they've just, they've just been caught with their felonies and they've uh, they were wrong place at the wrong time and made a bad mistake. But let's take a step here and you know, on our past shows, when we'll talk about felonies and review some of my uh, Felony Friday articles, I think, uh, you know, that there's a lot of value in that. And that was one of the reasons that um, when you and I talked that, that we wanted to start this show, to start to dive into, you know, more felonies more often. Every week there's people just being abused by the criminal justice system and getting an unfair shake for committing felonies, committing nonviolent felonies. So let's dive into a couple. Let's dive and, right uh, in. Trend, let's do it. Trending in the news. This one's pretty recent here. There's a uh, state senator in Georgia who has introduced a law to remove the felony conviction, felony charge for marijuana. So this passes in the state of Georgia. You'll no longer be able to be a felon for possessing or selling marijuana. Now, uh, this bill is Senate Bill uh, 254. And what it does is it it doesn't really eliminate uh, the laws themselves. It just decriminalizes marijuana. And I think the question I want to pose to you, Mark, 
with laws like this, um, laws for decriminalizing marijuana, um, we see this in Georgia. You know, we've seen it in cities, too, like Philadelphia has a similar law where they've decriminalized to the point where it's just a fine. Actually, Pittsburgh, the city where, where I'm broadcasting from, has, has done the same thing recently, where it's, it's decriminalized. It's only a fine. It's like a parking ticket. And cities all over the, the, uh, the land are doing this. All over the United States are doing this, I should say. And now a state taking the step forward. So the difference between decriminalizing and legalizing marijuana, because we've seen states legalize, obviously, in Colorado and Washington, and recently with Ohio trying to do it, and, of course, in Ohio, we saw that the crony aspect of that, which it didn't pass, but there was a the way that the amendment was uh, was written. It would have given like something like 10 people the, uh, you know, a monopoly on the marijuana industry. So my question to you is, do you think that there's a better avenue here to really um, give people back their individual rights when it comes to the drug war? You think decriminalization is, is a better way to go or going for legalization? Right, because that, there's a, a difference there. Because legalization usually tends to mean that they have the you know the government of whatever state has developed some kind of regulatory system through which all sales of marijuana or growth of marijuana must be you know approved and must go through for the, all the transactions. It usually involves licensing of a certain kind, and and in some states it might be very easy to get those licenses. I mean, as far as I can tell, it it seems like it hasn't been too difficult for people to start marijuana businesses in Colorado, in Washington State. But as you mentioned, you know sometimes it looks a little more crony. I mean, in Ohio they actually shot down the legalization bill because, uh, from all indications, largely because of the crony aspect that it was going to hand over control of the marijuana industry in that state to like basically a a very small group of people. So, I mean, I I think ideally we would want to just decriminalize and say, look, you can do this. You can have whatever you want. You can possess a substance. If you're not hurting somebody, we're not going to create a new system, a new set of laws to dictate how you should grow a certain plant or how you should obtain it. I mean, that would be ideal. At the same time, I think we can recognize that's just not the way legalization has been happening. And it is really a balance that we have to kind of judge every issue because, you know, on kind of a case by case basis, because, you know, even if we might not like how legalization goes through in some cases, we have to realize that it, at the same time, it is going to keep a lot of people from maybe being arrested, a lot of people from having maybe felonies on their records and that sort of thing. So there is a balance to be had there. We can look at what we want to be ideal, which is just, say, legalize everything or decriminalize everything, as you might want to say. But, um, you know, it's difficult. There's, there's no one answer because any piece of legislation that comes up in a state is going to have some elements of regulation. That's just the way our society is, whether it's with marijuana or, or anything else. Great points. And I think, yeah, like, that's like why you I'm said, your first guest. That's the point. <laughs> it's a case by case basis, really. And I think this is where I think a lot of libertarians get in trouble where they, they try to go with the uh, the pure route. You know, they uh, say they're against voting and, and we can't vote. It's buying into the system. And you've talked about this a lot before with with, uh, with other guests, Mark. But I mean, Voting is not always bad. I mean, voting can legalize a legalize a substance that can keep people out of jail for nonviolent crimes. And the same thing can be done like like being like hopefully will be done in Georgia with uh, this decriminalization and uh, just changing it. So there's no longer a felony tag attached to it. I kind of like the example, uh, not not to interrupt you, but well, I did interrupt you. I kind of like the example that that Walter Block always brings up. He says, you know, if you're all locked in a prison, you're all there unjustly, but they allow you one ounce of freedom. And that is to 
vote for your warden. So you got one warden, Warden Batty, who goes around beating people, and you know he's saying none of you are going to get out of this prison. I'm not going to have any any rules or any ways for you to you know earn your way out. And you get another warden, Warden Goody, and he's in there, and he he's you know he's still keeping you in jail, but he's nicer to people. He lets people have maybe nicer meals. Maybe he doesn't have the beatings that Warden Batty you know would give to people. And there's nothing wrong with going to that vote and voting for Warden Goody, knowing that you know things are going to be better under him it doesn't mean you support the fact that you're all in that prison it doesn't mean that you support the system but it's a tool that you can use to bring more freedom to yourselves and some other people and it it was actually completely illogical to reject that tool and and i mean because hey if, if nobody votes all the people that support warden goody uh just decide to stay home or stay in their cells or whatever well warden baddie's gonna win and now your life sucks and maybe you prove some kind of point but um you know things aren't better things are actually worse absolutely moving on from there moving on from talking about drug prohibition laws. Let's uh, talk about another controversial uh, subject, and it's it's gotten even a little more, maybe a little more controversial recently within the libertarian movement with uh, talking about DUI laws and should there be DUI laws, should there be a uh, arbitrary uh, limit of blood alcohol content or of breathalyzer where an arbitrary limit where you are officially drunk. And this, of course, is in the mainstream media. Um, a lot of people right now are talking about this uh, this affluenza teen, Ethan Couch. Everyone remembers him. From God, he is just a, a peachy-looking chap, isn't he? Yeah, he, he just looks like a great guy, doesn't he? Looks like he could be your best friend. but uh, Maybe your best looks, friend, man, not mine. <laughs> looks, like, looks like a scumbag. I do looks not like, hang out with people know? that look like that. No offense to perfectly nice people that might happen to look like the affluenza teen. <laughs> Yeah, but how about all those poor people who happen to look like him now that you know? Oh, man. People getting, but, hey, it's the affluenza. No, I'm just another weird looking kid. <laughs> but I mean, for people who aren't familiar with this affluenza scene, Ethan Couch, I'll give the quick story. This was, I forget how long ago, honestly. It was, it was probably a little over a year ago when the crime actually occurred. I don't know. Normally I have my facts scrape it, but not on this. Well, you got to focus on hosting now. You know, you can't just sit back and hosting. let me guide you through things. <laughs> can't worry about facts. No time for facts. So he goes out with friends, ends up stealing beer from a uh, beer distributor. He's driving around with like six or seven friends or something in a car. None of them are wearing seatbelts. They steal beer. They drink it. He's drunk. He's still driving around. And there's a car pulled over that broke down on the side of the road. And another car pulled over to help them. This kid, Ethan Couch, swerves and hits the car, knocks the car into the other car, hits an oncoming Volkswagen, I think. I think it was a Volkswagen, something like that. Ends up killing, I think, two or three. No, he ends up killing four people altogether. Two people on the side of the road, two people in the car. And the, the reason that this has gained so much uh, attention or notoriety in the mainstream media is because he's faced almost no repercussions for it. The charge that the affluenza teen got was only 10 years probation in a juvenile court, and there was four counts of intoxicated manslaughter. The defense that the defense used was affluenza, that he was – the way he was raised by his affluent parents, that he wasn't uh, accountable for his actions. He didn't understand the consequences associated with doing something like this. So just a completely insane thing. So when we talk about DUI laws, uh, a lot of people, you know, maybe they'll think of a case like this where some idiot like this Ethan Couch character who goes out and gets drunk and kills people – they think, okay, well, maybe we have, if we have some DUI laws, we can uh, eliminate people like this driving around if we catch them before they kill someone. 
kind of where this gets a little you know, controversial and can get bad. I mean, you can have someone with the way DUI laws are now, and, and I know it's different in, in some states, but I think most states are 0.08 alcohol content. For a lot of people, that's drinking uh, one, one and a half or two beers, maybe even less than that, depending on your size. And alcohol, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a bar, but or hung out with people drinking, but it affects people differently. And it affects people differently in lots of ways and coordination and, and different things. So For us, it, it makes us podcast better on our debate reaction shows. So Some would argue better. Some would argue worse. I don't know. But I, I think it makes them better. I, I would agree with you. I would definitely agree with you. So with DUIs, Jeffrey Tucker recently wrote an article uh, saying that DUIs, you know, DUIs should not exist. We shouldn't have a, a system where you can get pulled over and there should be an arbitrary number. He got a little bit of pushback on this. Um, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, a bold statement to put out there. But I got to say, I kind of agree with him. And that's not to say that in a more free society where you'd have, uh, you know, people, private citizens or groups of citizens or communities owning roads, they could very well put in a similar system to try to make the road safer. And I think uh, and uh, what I'm going to ask you, Mark, is your general view on DUIs. Do you think that I guess the way the system's structured right now, do you think that that is the best measure to really curb people driving drunk to make the road safer? And then uh, second part of the question, you know, if, if you were put in charge of, uh, you know, a local community, is that something or, or what are some examples of ways that you could think of maybe that a, a private or more free society, shouldn't say private, more free society could handle DUIs? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a tough issue. And I think you and I maybe four or five years ago might have been on the Jeffrey Tucker side of, well, it's an arbitrary law and we just shouldn't have them scrap it all together. And there's a lot to that, really, because it is sort of the way they come to the number is pretty arbitrary. I mean, in most states, the uh, DUI, the, the limit, the BAC limit, well, it's pretty much after a beer. If you had like a beer, for some people, you're going to blow, you know, blow over that limit, even after one beer, which for most people, you know, doesn't really affect their ability to drive in any way, uh, at least not to the point of being a danger to other people. At the same time, I think we can all agree that if someone does 20 shots of vodka, they should not be getting behind the wheel. Even if they happen to make it home without killing someone or without crashing their car, they're just lucky. You know, there's clearly a danger. So this is another one of those cases where there's not a clear answer, which makes it very difficult. And this is where something like the city-state principle that I know you and I have all talked about with Shane Whistler has been a past guest on Lions of Liberty, where, you know, in a quote-unquote more free society – you know, people would form systems, if you want to call them governments, if you want to call them, you know, um, HOAs, you know, you can call them whatever you want at the end of the day. It's, it's kind of irrelevant. But when people form their own systems and have their own, you know, their own, their own systems, their own rules in societies in which they agreed upon them, you know, or they agreed to give that authority to somebody to make these sort of decisions, well, I, I think things might at least be a little more just in that way. But it's very difficult when you say, you know, you have each state just saying, all right, anybody that's over this limit has a DUI and they're all traded the same. So if you've got a .08, I believe it is in California, it could be wrong, uh, you are the same as the guy that has a 3.5, you know, you or whatever. I don't even know if that's a possible alcohol limit to have 300% of your blood. But you know what I'm saying? There is definitely an argument that the mere act of just driving after a beer and turning that into the same felonies as, you know, driving around completely blacked out is a serious problem. And I think there, but to just say that, you know, Jeffrey Tucker might say, well, you know, it's unjust to regulate this at all. 
And it's just not really accurate because in any society, you're going to have roads. You're going to have those roads might have speed limits. Those roads, you know, maybe they won't be federally mandated as they are now. I mean, I think that's a problem. But any system in which human beings come together to form towns, cities, whatever you want to call them, they're going to have rules in place with the intent of making things a little bit safer for people. And, and we can argue the utility of maybe certain blood alcohol levels and stuff like that, but that, that kind of gets beyond the point. But I, it is clear to, I think, everybody that driving truly drunk is dangerous. I mean, it does have a high potential to hurt people, and I don't think we should just necessarily say, well, driving with any kind of alcohol in your system should not be something that is stopped in any way by law, shape, or form. And and when you say something like that, you know, when Jeffrey Tucker says something like that, and people read that, and they associate with libertarianism, they're going to say, well, libertarians are idiots, because they just want everyone drunk on the road. And I don't know the yeah. exact answer, but I think going more towards private property, towards local communities, and, and that sort of thing, as opposed to how it is now, where it's all mandated from above, that's more the direction to go, at least. Libertarians are on the size of the affluenza team. That's what people will be saying. There you go. That's exactly what they'll be saying. (laughs) That's how things get skewed. So that was a great conversation. I want to try something a little different here, Mark. Uh Uh-oh. A little bit different. And we'll try to do this uh, rapid fire going through. I want to keep these these episodes as close to a half hour as we can. I love it. Let's do it. So what we're calling this this, uh, segment here is, is this a crime and should anyone do time? All right. So I'm going to read you a little uh, recent um, felony from the news, and then you can tell me, first of all, is there a crime or what is the crime? And then is there anyone here who really should be doing time or should you know should be punished for this? All right. That sounds fun. Awesome. Okay. We are starting out in San Francisco, out your way in California, a little bit to the north up there. A boy in uh, Lafayette, San Francisco, is facing felony assault and battery charges for Apparently, and there's video footage that isn't out there of this, but apparently for striking an opponent during a water polo match. That's felony assault and battery for while playing a high school sport for breaking someone's nose, I guess, with his knee or his foot or something. So, Mark, is that a crime and should anyone do time? Okay, so there's a couple issues at play here. One is the age of the kids. You know, the kid's like 15. So in our society, that's kind of on the edge of where we have the age of consent, which is kind of the same place we say, is this person tried as a child or tried as a adult? So there's already a little tweaky complication there, but I'm just going to kind of put that to the side for a second. I think the big issue with the actual incident is they say it's captured on video. I haven't seen the video. I don't see the video, you know, in the article anywhere. Um, yeah, the, the video's not, it's not, right, it's not, it's not public. public. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if it was really, really intentional, like he grabs a kid, knees him in the face, and you can really tell that, then I would say that is a crime. At the same time, going back to what I just put aside of his age and the fact that we know how kids kind of play and kids get rough in the middle of a, a sporting event, I mean, I don't think anyone should do time. And, and there may be a difference there because. You know, you can call an act a crime, like, you know, an isolated incident. But I think in our society, we need to really put everything in context. And that's a lot of things that mandatory minimums for drug crimes and such like that takes away. And it takes away from the power of judges. So, I mean, again, without seeing the video, it's hard to fully say. But I would definitely lean towards no. Nobody should do time for, even if it was a violent act, you know, an incident in the middle of a game between two 15-year-olds maybe he should be suspended, maybe he should be suspended from the team, and this is all assuming it's completely on purpose, and I I don't know, I I mean, 
I've never played water polo, but I I imagine with all the activity going on there, you could easily accidentally, you know, hit someone in the face. And I mean, so difficult to say, but I'm going to say possibly yes, a crime, but definitely no time. Okay, well, there you have it. There you have it. Might be a crime. We don't know, but but definitely no time. And, you know, something to think about here uh, with pro sports and like when you think about hockey, the NHL, you have grown men that fight each other and it's completely legal in a sport. So you got to see some of the examples that are set for some of these kids. That's a good point. I mean, I don't think anybody would want a UFC fighter arrested for hitting someone in during a fight because that's what they're there for. But I mean, obviously, water polo is a different sort of sport. But the point is, these are these still are sort of contact sports. Maybe water polo, not as much as, say, football, but things do happen in these sporting events. And there, there is an element of risk that everyone takes on just by participating in them. OK, so we're going to move on to the next one here. Probably just time for one more. So uh, this is a Walmart prank gone wrong. So this is an 11-year-old kid who was calling a, uh, a Walmart, called them like 15 times, saying that he was inside the store with a loaded handgun and he was ready to open fire. So he kind of avoided the age thing before with the 15-year-old and the water polo. Now we got an 11-year-old kid. It's hard to imagine an 11-year-old kid doing this. I guess he says he learned it from watching other pranks on YouTube or something. I, I didn't know there were people doing this on YouTube. It's pretty disgusting. But so th- this kid's being charged. Uh, he's a juvenile and he's being charged as an adult. He is charged um, as an adult. That's interesting. Yeah. So is this a crime here? And should this 11 year old kid um, do, you know, serious time for this uh, prank? Man, on you really pick some tough ones here on, on episode number one, man, huh? <laughs> right to the wolves, Mark. Well, I mean, you're a veteran podcaster. I thought you'd be <laughs> ready I can for it. Handle and, it. And you are. I know you All are. Right. Right. I'm going to do my best to take this on. I will say, okay, it is a crime because, listen, that something like that uh, has to be – I mean, that could really hurt someone because let's say, okay, I'm in the store. I'm an active shooter. Let's say there's – and I don't know if he gave a description of himself or what, but now this causes everyone in the store to be on high alert. Maybe they call the cops in, and you could easily see someone in the store. This already happened in a Walmart in Ohio, I think, last year where – without the prank call aspect, but a guy was carrying a gun that he can buy in Walmart that we see he got from Walmart and was shot in the store by officers who I guess somebody had said, called some report about a guy with a gun. But, I mean, it was a guy that, with a gun that you can buy there. So, But something similar could easily happen in this case, and, and maybe with a little more justification if they had some reason, maybe from this phone call, that there actually was an active shooter there. You could easily see a situation where the police come in, see somebody holding a gun, perhaps looking at one, perhaps one that they're just, just checked out with, and maybe they match whatever description or they don't even need a description because they're they're so on high alert about this active shooter call. And you can easily see someone harmed there. So, you know, maybe some hardcore people might say, hey, it's just speech. It's just a phone call. But it's a phone call. It's really fraud is what it is. It's fraud play with, that can place other people in serious danger. So crime, yes, although I really, again, think you need to take the context of this kid's age into account in some way. So I mean, I don't know what the punishments for this crime, especially being tried as an adult, would be. I I certainly don't think this 11-year-old kid should be behind bars for five years. I think his arrest and and probably whatever, you know, even if he just got a minor punishment, would probably be enough to scare him for life from doing this again. So I I really think you do, once again, need to take context into this thing. Um, So I don't think an 11-year-old should be behind bars for this. I do not. So I'm going to say crime again, no time once again. So you might even say I'm soft on crime so far. (laughs) (laughs) But, so, but these are kids, the, and, and, and you know, an 11-year-old, I, I do see, is different than a 15-year-old. So, I mean... Yeah, 11 is... There's a big no, difference between 11 and 15. we did some stupid shit as 11-year-olds, you know? 
Really stupid. Yeah. Nothing like this, but stupid. I mean, maybe he won't be tried as an adult, but I'll, I'll read to you what the police chief said. It won't be handled lightly. It will be taken seriously. And the charges will be an appropriate charge as if you are an adult. So to me, that sounds like he's going to be face charges and be tried as an adult. But okay. So, you know, I think that's all we have time for today, Mark. It's, uh, this was sort of a, I guess, a glorified test run through our new format. Well, you know, as a new podcast host and from an older podcast host, I'll I'll give you a little advice. Or a little words of wisdom, if you will. Every single episode is a test run. And all we do is improve, improve as we go along. So for new listeners, you might have heard us do the felony report before. This is a little bit of a different format. It's going to take us all some time to really get into the groove. And the reason is we don't really know what the groove is because podcasting is an ongoing experiment. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's a uh, a great thing about podcasting. This is the format that we had today. We're going through trying a few things out. I'm going to have on next week, uh, as you know, Mark, our good friend, uh, Howard Snowden, who many of our listeners have heard on our you know, debate reaction shows. He's always on those, on the our libertarians in the living room drinking liquor. He's always having fun and uh, putting in some uh, witty contributions there. So I'm really looking forward to uh, doing a little uh, back and forth with Howie next week and talking about some felonies. We're also going to do some interviews on this show. Ooh, fun. So we're going to hopefully bring in in the next few weeks and it's, you know, it'll be every couple shows, maybe every three or four, we'll have an interview and it could be uh, anything from a, an expert in, in the field of criminal justice to an activist in the field of criminal justice, maybe a, a former cop or someone like that and really try to get some unique perspectives. So those shows will be a little bit different. It, that'll be the same thing. It'll be an experiment going forward and we're going to try to grow this show and you can obviously help us with that. As you guys, hopefully everyone listening to this show has already gone and subscribed to iTunes. And if you haven't already liked our Facebook page, Lines of Liberty on Facebook and followed us on Twitter, go ahead and do that now. Another great way to interact with us and you know read our articles and, and join in the conversation with us is to join our Facebook forum, our Facebook group. We have a uh, private group there, the Lines of Liberty Forum. Uh, if you you know, go to uh, just Google Lines of Liberty. It'll come up there. Type it in your, type it in your search bar on Facebook. Or you can also find it by going to the show notes for this show, which I believe will be at lionsofliberty.com slash FF1. And correct me if I'm wrong. You are correct. You are See? correct. And I probably would have forgot to say that. But, yeah, it's lionsofliberty.com. Well, that was my very sly way of reminding you live on air. Not that we're live on air. <laughs> ah, hey, it worked. I think I've hit all the, uh, all the things that we want to talk about today, Mark. It's been great visiting with you, but it's been great getting your opinions on these things. And I'm really looking forward to in the future, really, you know, finding some interesting things to talk about and growing this show, talking about felonies, talking about the plight of felons, talking about the broken criminal justice system that we have in this country. And I'm sure I'll have you back on in a couple of weeks or so. It would be my pleasure. You'd like to, anything you'd like to add before we, we go here? No, just listen to this show. <laughs> Subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> Join us if you like what we're doing. You know, tell us. Like I said, pop into the Lions of Liberty forum. You know, communicate with us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. We don't want to be here to just dictate to you how things should be. We all want to be here to advance a conversation. And I think that's the general gist of uh, everything we're doing here. We're trying to have a conversation often with each other, but we're really we're trying to have the conversation with all of our listeners. So we want you guys to get as involved as possible. Another way to join the conversation is you can email us. You can email us 
stories that you're interested in. You can email guests. You can email me if you want to be on the show. Felony Friday at lionsofliberty.com. Felony Friday at lionsofliberty.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And with that being said, I'm going to sign off here. And always remember to keep your head up and the fire of liberty burning.